Robbie, and welcome to the Local Paleo Show. Morning. Thank you for coming on the show, and good morning, Mark, as well. Good morning. I hope you're all having a wonderful time so far. So so far, yeah. Thank you, thank you both for having me. Glad to be on the show. Absolutely. We'll, it's, we'll try it's, not uh, to spoil that. <laughs> it's, it's pretty chilly here in Austin today. We've had a cold front and uh, it's in the 20s and uh, that for Texas, that's really cold. Yeah, rare bit of ice on the roads, which keeps most people indoors around here. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, they delayed school to allow the, to make sure the bus wouldn't be slipping and sliding. Right. Okay, back to business. Um, Robbie, your friend Chris Kirsten suggested we talk to you about force of nature. Uh, so thank you for coming on the show. You are the co-founder and CEO at Force of Nature Meets, as well as founding team member and chief financial officer at Epic Provisions. Seems to me you're wearing many hats. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a few other in there as, as well, but um, yeah, very fortunate to, to have my hand in a lot of really exciting stuff. Cool. Cool. So can you briefly tell us about your professional background before Force of Nature? Uh, before Force of Nature, um, we built uh, Epic. Mm -hmm. And uh, bef before Epic and, be and, and before that, um, I went in and went through graduate school in business and um, went into sort of large scale, what we would call business consulting. So all sorts mm -hmm. of stuff and for large and medium sized businesses um, just kind of went through the grinder and the, um, I guess it's a rat race where in, right. a, in the ac academic world, they tell you to go down this path and that this is, and this is the definition of success and they lay everything out for you and you get into it and you realize you're just part of a big machine and you're, you're a cog in a wheel. And it's really difficult to see where, the value you're providing is and how you're impacting actual people and actual outcomes in the world and get a sense of fulfillment in what you're doing. So I, uh, that's, I, that's, that's how you connected with Epic. Yeah. That, I, I decided I would remove myself from, from that world and, and start to pursue working in, 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 in a space where I felt like I was adding value and I, and I, and I felt really proud of what I was doing. So I actually went to a startup before Epic um, and we grew really rapidly. Um, we were number 21 on the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in my first year and number 186 in my second year. Mm -hmm. um, so we grew that company really quickly. Um, I was there for a little over three years. Um, and then I left and joined Epic. Um, and Katie and Taylor and I, um, the, 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 the co-founders of Epic, Katie and Taylor. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I all grew up together in Austin. Um, I actually knew them oh, wow. before they knew each other. Katie and I were grew up uh, as neighbors and, and Taylor and I in middle school um, played baseball and in high school um, sports together. And then of wow. course, later in life they met, they joined. Um, long story short, they started uh, two food companies, Epic being uh, one of them. And um, they, they called me and at, at a certain point in time and said, hey, this thing's really blowing up and you have experience with scaling fast growth companies. Um, and we have a need right now to get some help. And so I joined them very early on and for a few years, we grew that, and then um, we led it through a, a process um, where it was acquired by General Mills. And then for the last three years, we've um, run the company for General Mills. Um, and really proud to say that we've actually run, a, run the company in a way that was both authentic to the Epic brand, but 
also yeah. highly influential to General Mills and really changing the way that General Mills does business. So having profound cool. impact beyond the size of that business. And now we've come to Force of Nature, which if folks are familiar with the, the mission and values behind Epic about animal welfare and impact on lands and health um, and wellness and, and, and nutrient um, availability for consumers, you'd understand the, the beginnings of, of where we're going with uh, Force of Nature as well. Right, right. So uh, can you explain how Force of Nature operates and what, what kind of operation is it? Um, you, you mean that you mean that the, the legal type of operation it is or no just... no no we're not interested in legal stuff we're taking imagine interested you in, we're interested in the food side of thing how right. uh, is force of nature and rome ranch the same thing or are they two separate entities uh, uh i'm trying to get some clarification here oh okay great yeah so um I'll just I'll I'll explain what Rome Ranch is and then and then how we got to Force of Nature and that should and and, and what right. to your question the sort of operation so um, yeah. after the sale of Epic pretty quickly Katie and Taylor acquired a piece of property um, just uh, west of Austin in Fredericksburg called and they and they named it Rome Ranch um, a lot of folks who maybe sell a company uh, who sell a company may may find themselves vacationing off and traveling around the world. Um, Katie and Taylor decided to double down on something that was fundamentally important to them, and that's spreading the the word of regenerative agriculture. Mm -hmm. And so this this ranch, Rome Ranch, is an active, working, multi-species ranch. Uh, covers over a thousand acres. Has everything from poultry animals to pork to um, a herd of bison, um, and it is a a living field experiment and educational facility. So numerous community events, um, professional events, conferences, everything that we can do to get people out here and expose them to the concepts of regenerative agriculture, connect people to where their food comes from, make them more conscious and aware of the implications of decisions that they make in purchasing and eating. Um, and eventually Rome Ranch, obviously, because it's a working ranch, has products to sell, which are, which, which are you know, animal-based protein products. Um, but instead of building a, a brand and trying to scale and do that with the Rome, under the Rome Ranch umbrella, we started a separate company, again, also entirely separate from Rome Ranch, entirely separate from Epic, uh, called Force of Nature. Mm -hmm. um, and Force of Nature is not only um, sourcing from and supporting Rome Ranch, there are a number of other wonderful operations that are regenerative ranches and farms um, around the country, um, and even more broadly than that, that are doing incredible things that need support. And you know, Force of Nature ultimately is, go, is, is a national brand that can establish scale and distribution in a way that many small and medium-sized farms can't, um, such yeah. that they can work with us um, to, to grow their operation and grow their footprint as we um, work with retailers or, or, or you know, online, go direct to consumer or within food service, go to restaurants and get the best proteins on the planet directly uh, to consumers where it's available. So they can then make those conscious choices supporting a better system. Right, so um, basically Foster Nature is kind of uh, gathering all of these products and then reselling out to the public or grocery stores and so on, right? Right, yep. Okay, and what is your line of product? What, uh, what products do you offer? So in time, we'd like to offer um, even more than we do today, initially, given um, the dynamics of this 
this industry and, and these products, um, we have a whole line of ground uh, meats, particularly mm -hmm. ground meats that haven't been um, as commodified or commoditized as mm -hmm. some of the more traditional proteins. So we have a ground bison, a ground uh, a venison, ground elk, ground wild boar, um, as well as uh, all of those are grass-fed and, and pasture-raised um, mm -hmm. and, and regenerative systems. Uh, we have pasture-raised non-GMO organic pork. We yeah. have um, two different uh, blends uh, that we're calling our ancestral blends. Um, mm -hmm. It blends in a little bit of the, the liver and the heart into the grind. So we have a bison ancestral and a beef ancestral. And the idea there is to make the most nutrient dense food in the grocery store um, in a ratio that is more symbolic of what you might find in an animal, but then also um, in a flavor profile designed to accommodate the more modern palate. Um, yeah. So you get, you get the benefits of those organ meats without, you know, what the, what, what some folks might find um, offensive. I, I love it, but um, it's just a way to incorporate something in that I think we've, we've lost in our diet. We also yeah, have preformed burgers. Yeah, Sorry. we lost the we lost uh, the our grand grandparents' ability to eat all parts of the animals, and uh, for a lot of people, um, you know, thinking of eating um, heart or liver or other parts of the the animal is like gross. They think of it as gross, right? So uh, you kind of you kind of doing the old uh, mom tricks. Uh, you, she's sneaking the vegetables into the soup. You're sneaking the, <laughs> the liver and the, into the ground meat. Um, it would be interesting to taste that for sure. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll definitely get you some. It's um, it's really well. It's it's really good. Obviously, I mean, you, I'm sure you have a, you have an appreciation for it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know, a, 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 as as a chef, as a chef could. Um, but um, it's, it's actually wildly popular. I, I think to your point, you know, we call it the ancestral blend because our ancestors would have found those to be the most highly sought after cuts. Yeah. And somehow as, we've, as our health has declined, um, we've found ourselves distancing ourselves from the most healthy parts of the animal. And so that's, that's why we named it the ancestral blend. We didn't want to name it something that was too provocative, um, but we didn't want to call attention to the fact that it's certainly, you know, very nourishing and, and very much tied into our, our ancestry and our history, yeah. our heritage. Plus it sounds very paleo. It's very paleo. Yeah. And, very paleo. Um, and then similarly, like you mentioned the whole animal, we have, we have some preformed burgers um, that are available. We have a, 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 a bison and bacon blend and we have a venison and Wagyu blend. And then we offer some osobuco cuts. We offered some tenderloins. We offer um, short ribs. And, and we're continuing to expand and grow. So we'd like to be um, harvesting all parts of the animal and, and, and finding new and creative ways to get those to consumers and, and, and honor those animals. Right, right. So you process your own uh, your animals or do they come to you already, um, you know, processed? Um, in some cases, we, we process our own animals. In some cases, um, we buy the animals and then work with a processor. Um, we don't have our own processing facility, um, okay. but we work with we work with experts that, that do both the, uh, the 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 slaughter step as well as um, further packaging and processing. Um, right. So those guys, there's a ton of equipment that's involved in that, and, and and scale and efficiency, and it's best to align with with people that have values that um, are shared by you. 
and yep. uh, and then support and, and and support other small businesses. We're focused on 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 the brand, you know, the, the sourcing from the ranch, how those animals are treated and raised, the impact on the land, and then ultimately putting it into an incredibly tasty, nutrient dense package and getting it into the hands of consumers. Right, right. So you um, pretty much told us all the sorts of animals you're raising. Um, moving on to a slightly different subject. Uh, what is your connection with the Savories Institute and uh, how do you work with the, their land to market program? So the, so the relationship with Savory Institute goes back to very early days with, with Epic Provisions. And, um, you know, the, the idea behind Epic was to make a, a, a convenient and packable shelf-stable product um, mm -hmm. at a time when most convenient shelf-stable packable things um, that you would eat on the go were made, you know, heavily grain or heavily sugar-based or carb-based. Yeah. And so, you know, doing something in meat obviously was, was new and innovative. But it was, you know, at a time where you know eating healthy and eating whole foods and those sorts of things were important. And so, you know, wanted to make it the most healthy product. But in, in a meat-based product, where do you find the most healthy product? Where do you find the most healthy animals? Where do you find the most mm -hmm. healthy animals? You know, and you start to peel back the layer and you realize healthy animals come from healthy lands, healthy lands come from healthy soils and 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 diverse ecosystems. And you know, as we began that journey, we 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 crossed paths with the Savory Institute and realized that. Um, if we were going to have any success in, in sourcing the sort of protein that we want, we, ha we had to build those supply chains. And to build those supply chains, we had to create awareness to um, the, the issues that are facing our, our food systems today and our agriculture systems today and get consumers to help um, advocate um, for products that, that champion those, um, those, those missions and those efforts. And so Working with Savory, we were able to help learn and be educated on the concept of regenerative agriculture and holistic planned grazing and how all over the world and all the continents and all the different um, eco regions, um, there are massive opportunities for, you know, herds of ruminant animals to restore grasslands, to sequester carbon, to revitalize ecosystems, address water and climate and all these all these incredible issues antibiotics and soil erosion and dead zones and oceans it's just remarkable all the things that you can affect yeah and they've really helped steward us through that that learning and understanding um again like we were talking about with force of nature on the on the epic front you know we were always in more into the brand and and and, and working with consumers and figuring out how to translate and connect consumers to those messages and so we, we formed a really wonderful alliance early on and, and, and relationship early on, or we could support one another. And that's where land to market came into play. We kind of all put our heads together and said, how do we tell a better story on a package so that consumers know definitively and empirically, if I purchase this product, I, I know without a doubt that I am supporting the environment, that literally there was a net positive return to the land um, through my, my purchase uh, action or my behavior. Yeah. And that's where the land to market program and, as you mentioned, the, the, the ecological outcome verification protocol came from. So we've worked with Savory for about five years um, um, to, to guide and mentor and advise, as well as to, in some cases, fund um, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the work to help develop that, that protocol. And it's something that we're really proud of. So I guess, uh, as an example, Chris would come to your ranch, for example, Rome Ranch and then teach you how to manage 
the land and the animals, right? Right. Well, yeah, yeah. So our relationship pre predates Rome Ranch, but as an, as an example, um, Savory, um, outside of the EOV, Savory's other um, core competency is training farmers and ranchers. Um, and again, they, they have hubs all over the world on every continent, and, and it's sort of a hub and spoke network. So they have, yeah. you know, ranches that are the um, the model, and they'll work with other ranches in their in their geography and their community to spread the word about opportunities and concepts and practices and things that are working and issues um, and training, as you, as you know, whether it be on farm or people coming and doing conferences to figure out how they can employ these methods mm -hmm. and um, and begin to regenerate their lands at a time when our, our agriculture system is actually degenerating lands at a, at a massive scale that we've never for, before seen on this planet. So right. that's a really great service that they provide, especially when so many farmers or ranchers are actually being forced off their lands um, yeah. because they're, they're victims of a very industrialized, very centralized agriculture system that's squeezing them and squeezing them and causing them to have to purchase more and more up, um, inputs mm -hmm. and seeing less and less productivity from their lands as they further degrade it yeah. and and unfortunately many of these folks who are, are awesome people land stewards would love to be doing more are stuck in this system and and at, at, at certain times many of them get to the point of desperation you know do we fold up or do we try something different and a lot of times savory is there to say hey well we have a different path try this before you before you throw in the towel and and and, and many folks have been able to turn it around and um <clears throat> become new leaders and new pioneers and, and um, you know, those are the, the uh, motiv motivators um, for other people to follow suit, you know, because once you're, once you look down a fence line and you see one side that looks like a thriving ecosystem and the other side that looks like bare ground, um, it's not yeah. hard to see what's working <clears throat> and what isn't. Right, right. So not only you're, you're helping regenerate the environment and we'll get to that soon, uh, you're also helping farmers, <clears throat> sorry, you're helping farmers to survive and, uh, and thrive. Absolutely. I mean, not just farmers, but the communities, you know, especially in here in America or in the U U.S. Um, we see that so many um, rural communities have collapsed and or are just suffering and the economies yeah. and the people and the, um, um, you know, healthcare and schools and I mean, it's just, it's really, it's really sad to observe. I think the, the average age of a farmer in the U.S. is, you know, in his, in his or her low to mid-60s. Um, yeah. Most of the future generations of um, farmers are, are leaving the land to pursue more noble, um, you know, professions and, and professions where there's more likelihood of economic stability or financial stability. And it's really tragic, right? Because farmers and ranchers are heroes. You know, they're the ones that are right. literally letting the farm and sacrificing mm -hmm. every day for the rest of us and feeding us that, and they may never know who we are and we may be thankless and we may look down on, on those people call, call where they live flyover States or call, you know, mock their professions by calling somebody a pig farmer or things like that, where you know, these people are making sacrifices for the, for the rest of us and, 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 and they're paying, um, in, 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 in major ways. I think, you know, tens of thousands are, of farms are, are failing every year and going into the hands of a few large organizations who certainly aren't um, putting the lands first or putting the consumers first or putting the animals first. And so I think it's important that we recognize we have a tremendous opportunity to help those communities, help those individuals, and in the process, help ourselves and help all of the things 
um, the broader set of stakeholders in the world that we care about, um, again, yeah. through, through our purchasing um, decisions and through um, awareness and, 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 and what sort of agriculture systems that we're going to support as consumers. Yeah. From, uh, from what I've read in, in uh, previous interviews, what I, what's encouraging is the fact that uh, we're seeing more young people, even though not necessarily coming from the farm, uh, farming environment, actually wanting to go back and do something about it. And, uh, and you know, for example, Taylor and Katie is, you know, one example, but there's many, many more that realize that if we don't take care of our environment and food source, then uh, everything is going to collapse. And, uh, you know, that's important. It's, it's really encouraging to see the um, that sort of trend of a, I guess, you, I don't know if you call it a reverse migration or, or what, but people going from the cities back to the land. And, you know, I would, I would say it's even partially that there, there's obviously an altruistic component. I think, you know, I mean, a, a service and, a, and, a, and an attitude of wanting to do good and be better and help and be part of a solution, which is obviously, which is, you know, obviously virtuous. Um, I also think that the way that our, our society has, um, evolved, we've just lost touch. We've lost touch with the natural world. We've lost touch with our food. We've lost touch with where it comes from. Um, you know, especially in an animal-based agriculture, um, you know, 97% of consumers out there um, eat, you know, animal-based protein, but I would argue that far too many of them have never participated in, in the, the act of harvesting their own protein. And I think that's a really sobering experience. I think it really humbles you and it really um, tests you and it gives you an incredible respect, a profound appreciation for the life um, mm -hmm. that is going to nourish you and your friends and your family. And, and the same thing is, is said for, for agriculture systems. And so I think, you know, seeing people move from the cities back to the land is perhaps even, you know, deeper than we might realize in, in terms of trying to get back in touch with something that's encoded in our, in our, in our DNA and, 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 and part of our, our, our very being and evolution where we need to be interacting with our food um, and we need to be sharing experiences with our food in order to, um, you know, to prosper. Like you did. Exactly. That was, that was your path, right? You wanted to contribute and then go, instead of just making money, just, uh, making money or earning your living uh, in a meaningful way, which typically if you work in finance is, is not, I mean, you make tons of money, but there's not really a, a mission behind it, right? A, a human mission that is. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'd like to think that I'm on, I'm on that path. I'm never, I'm never satisfied. So like there's more good that can be done and, 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 and we're obviously doing our best with, uh, with force of nature and, and all the things we have going on. But at the end of the day, you know, what we do matters very, very little. What, what the consumer does matters greatly. And so we're just yeah, trying so, to get the message out there and, and, and reach people and help them make the choice that's right for them. But in yeah. this case, and particularly in the, in the, in the industry of meat agriculture, um, they, need, they, they deserve um, transparency and they deserve to know the truth um, and they deserve to make an informed decision. And I don't think that that's happening today. Uh, I'm curious, uh, do you see a price resistance um, when it comes to your products? So people are willing to pay a little more to get good quality and with, uh, you know, knowing the mission behind it. 
Yeah, I think I think price is certainly a, a challenge uh, for us at, at first, but I think it's it's also one that we quickly resolve and overcome. Um, mm -hmm. Again, you know, we're we are unfortunately talking about a commodity space, yeah. um, and we've and and this is a, ma a major concern for us and a major a major um, intentional endeavor of ours is to 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 decommodify um, animals. These are li right. living sentient beings. Um, it can't be price above all else and at the expense of all else. Um, right. At some point, we have to acknowledge that the true cost of food as reflected in these depressed prices on the shelf is being paid by all of us um, and, and future generations. We just don't see it on the shelf. And so um, uh, nonetheless, consumers look, look at the number on, on the shelf, right? And we think that it's okay to pay $30 a pound for almonds, but we can't pay more than $5 a pound for, for beef. And so, yeah. you know, we're, we're having to challenge some of those things. Now we've seen it done. We've seen dairy go from highly commodified to really high quality animal dairy. And, and now some, some, some other substitute products coming out and we've seen, you know, eggs similarly go from, you know, $2 a dozen to upwards of $8 a dozen for uh, more premium grants. We've seen brands, excuse me, and, and, and sourcing. So right. we've seen it done. Uh, and we know consumers um, are, are are ready for better products. And 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 the, in, in our case, and in the case of meat, um, going back to what I just shared a moment ago, I don't think they know the truth, the full truth, and understand the 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 reality of where most of um, what they're purchasing is coming from, and the story of those animals, and the story of the those lands. Um, and we're getting that information out. And, and so, for force right. of nature in particular is endeavoring first to be a content company, really. Um, and first to get information out and to tell the to tell those stories and to teach consumers and educate them and connect them to those concepts and to connect them to their food and then offer obviously incredible protein sourced from incredible people all over um, and, uh, and 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 address that. So I think the initial concerns around price are quickly resolved once people understand what they're getting, that the food is more nutritious, um, that it's better for their family, that they feel better eating it, that the price isn't that much greater than they um, are already paying for other products, uh, and it's well worth. Uh, it's a great value in, in exchange for what you're what you're getting. Or in the case of alternative, cheaper products, which you're not getting, which are, you know, GMOs and more carcinogens and, um, yeah. you know, cheap fillers and et cetera, et cetera. But um, yeah, it's 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 definitely probably our biggest challenge to overcome. Yeah, like I said, I always say. Um... Either you pay a little more to stay healthy, to eat healthy food now, or you pay a lot more to the doctors and hospitals and uh, medication later on. Absolutely, and, and, and you know too, right? I mean, if you have a, an incredible heritage breed, breed pasture-raised poultry animal, chicken, turkey, whatever, you know, those animals are out working, moving. They're not, you know, I always say unhealthy sedentary animals beget unhealthy sedentary humans. And yeah. those, those, other, those other animals that are out roaming the lands, eating the diets they evolved to eat, um, re expressing their evolutionary behaviors, the, 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 the quality of the food, it tastes better. I mean, mm -hmm. yes, it's better for the environment. Yes, it's, it's, it's better for you, but it tastes better. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it's healthier for you. I mean, um, a good example would be that uh, grass-fed meat contains omega-3 fatty acid versus uh, Industrial meat contains omega-6, which is inflammatory. That's just a small example. Yeah, I read, a, I heard of a report recently about, you know, they're trying to understand what the potential is 
of tracking nu nutrient availability and density. And I mean, we're, we're just on the cusp of learning so much in that area that we don't know. And of course, every land and environment is, is different. But the, the report I read said that the potential is that, you know, even just for a banana, um, a, bagan a banana raised in a regenerative system can be up to 2000 times more nutrient dense than mm -hmm. the most conventional system. And so you're obviously on a spectrum, but that's just incredible to know that there's that much potential to have more healthy food or less healthy food. And the cheapest stuff is the least healthy, unquestionably. Yeah, and in a way you're reviving Earth. So um, I'd like to talk about the environment consequences because it's a big subject and uh, our friends uh, uh, on, the, on the other side of the fence, the vegans are accusing the meat industry to destroy the environment. But I wanna hear your your take on that, uh, again, you know, I've done some research on that. Um, for example, use the slogan, combating climate change with meat. Can you explain that statement? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we, we, could, we could talk another two hours about this one because it's- That's it's okay, really we have time. We can always split that into two different postings. We, uh, we, we also have the tagline of, of reclaiming the, the legacy of meat. And I'd say we've talked a little bit about the incumbents in meat and how they've taken shortcuts um, and we're trying to you know, address those. Um, and I would say reclaiming the legacy of meeting also includes reclaiming it from these new alternative companies that are coming out with plant-based or lab-based yeah. um, products, right? Yeah. And so they are, they are getting credit for a lot of incredible outcomes that they are absolutely not producing. Absolutely, um, yeah, I agree and, with you. Yeah, uh, and, Beyond Meat and uh, Impossible Meat and all these uh, soy-based um, right, ex ex processed exactly, products, yeah. Yeah, if you, you know, I, I don't know what vegan or vegetarian is gonna want a product that comes from fetal bovine serum or how that, how that changes animal agriculture or the GMOs that you're and the glyphosate that yeah. you're finding impossible and, and, and so on and so forth. I mean, it's definitively, now, now the truth is coming out. The product is not good for you. No, it's uh, not. And then they make claims about the environment. They say, well, it's less, you know, it's way better than conventional beef. Well, they're using the absolute worst, um, and, 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 and the, the worst example is the worst example, right? I mean, the, the most conventional, most centralized and industrialized meat example um, the LCA on that says that for every pound of beef produced, there is effectively 30 pounds of carbon, carbon equivalents emitted into the atmosphere. So one to mm -hmm. 30. Yeah. That's really bad. Um, and we, we need to do better. We must do better. You know, at, at yeah. Force of Nature, we absolutely agree that, that that can't continue to be the case. And we need consumers to wake up and recognize that. But that is the worst example. That is the, most of, that, the, the worst offender, I should say. There are yeah. plenty of other meat producers out there that are doing significantly better um, and they're they're attacking the entire industry by unfairly and dishonestly assigning the worst attributes to everybody yeah um, and, and, and that's 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 a lazy shortcut um, simultaneously they're still bad for the environment too um, the beyond and impossible both that their life cycle assessment so they they, they they call that cradle to grave right end to end evaluation of um, carbon equivalent outputs for every pound of product they produce uh, yeah. Beyond and impossible both are between three and a half and four pounds of carbon equivalents emitted into the atmosphere for every pound of product that they produce. Mm -hmm. um, our, our, our beef supply at Force of Nature 
is the only actual carbon negative uh, system that I'm that I'm aware of. So for every pound of beef that that we're producing, we're capturing three and a half pounds of carbon equivalents and sequestering that out of the atmosphere into the soil into the soil. Um, All right, so, right. So so before right. we go any further, maybe we need to explain what is uh, carbon capturing and how it works in your particular example. Why? How does it apply to regenerative agriculture? Because people need to understand the difference. Uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna preface that by a comment on, uh, you know, like beyond and uh, impossible. They use genetically engineered soy, which is probably one of the worst crop out there. That is uh, not only bad for you as your health because it is genetically engineered to uh, survive Roundup or glyphosate. And so it affects your health as well because when you eat it, you, you ingest that, that product. Uh, not to mention the extreme spraying of Roundup or glyphosate on these products and the intensive agriculture destroying the land. So now to your point, how does regenerative uh, switch that entirely around. Can you explain how it works? Um, I, yes, absolutely. Would love to. Um, I think the other thing to point out too, when besides spraying, is that the the the, the soybeans that they're growing are on um, millions of square miles of uh, desertified land as well. It's a, it's entirely yeah. monoculture, right? And so. What you do in a, in, a, in, a, in a monoculture system or a conventional system is you use chemistry to try and, and fight nature. So you're engaging yeah. chemical warfare against nature, right? Glyphosate is, is one example, um, yeah. and Roundup is one example, right? So it's, a, it's an herbicide. You're trying to kill weeds, which is what nature um, introduces to try to create biodiversity and restore balance into an ecosystem. They're also spraying herbicides. Uh, in addition to herbicides, they're, they're spraying pesticides, they're spraying fungicides, they're spraying fertilizers. Um, they're, they're constantly spraying and they're constantly um, it, introducing new chemicals um, into the ecosystem to try and again, combat life um, that would otherwise be present. And at this, just, just for a, a little bit of an appreciation for the scale of this, just in the United States alone and just for corn, 10% of the land mass of our country is corn mm. in rows that is fully monoculture and fully desert. Th think about that. Where, where in nature, in a natural functioning system, do you see a monoculture? Mm. Yeah. It doesn't exist, right? Yeah. It only exists where, human, where humans are interfering with it. The second thing that we're doing is tilling. We're, we're, we're running plows and discs and we're, we're, we're turning up that land, breaking up the incredible... Um, functioning rich ecosystem underneath this soil called the rhizosphere. Some of the largest organisms on the planet are fungus that are in that ground, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a massive network under the soil that when functioning properly is a direct reflection or not even reflection, truly will lead to healthy ecosystems above the soil. We understand less about what's going on beneath the soil than we do about the rainforest or than we do about the ocean. We're just beginning to tap into this understanding and appreciation of holy smokes. If we keep chemically and mechanically disrupting these systems, 
um, we are, we are going to find ourselves in a situation where not only can we not grow food, um, but we've, you know, we've passed a point of, of no return. So just understanding that, that, that it's, it's more than just carbon and it's more than just, um, glyphosate, the, um, the idea behind regenerative agriculture, the, the big hot item that people love to talk about is carbon. And you and I were talking about it a second ago, because that's the only thing that, um, beyond an impossible want to talk about, even though there's a ton of other areas that, that, that regenerative agriculture benefits, they are bad actors across all of those. So they don't want to highlight them. Yeah, but on the yeah. carbon piece, very, very simple. Um, we learned about this in elementary school, the process of photosynthesis, right? That the largest land-based carbon sink on the planet is healthy grasslands. Um, healthy grasslands should be, you know, somewhere between eight or, or, or more, 10% or more organic matter in the soil. Organic matter is mostly, you know, about half carbon. We're all carbon-based life, right? Um, so in a healthy ecosystem, a lot of carbon is going to be stored beneath the soil. How, how does that happen? Through photosynthesis. So the thing we learned as kids was the powerful energy of the sun um, combined with, you know, the green leaves and carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Uh, they will suck that carbon dioxide in and then they spit oxygen out and we all breathe oxygen, right? Mm -hmm. so CO2 goes in, O2 comes out, what gets left behind? Carbon, mm -hmm. right? And so that is the most basic explanation I can give of how carbon ends up in the soil. And to understand just how much carbon is not in our soil, for most of these heavy, heavily intensely farmed industrial commodity, or sorry, conventional um, farms out there, the soil uh, organic matter has dropped to or below 1%. Mm -hmm. And so that is a massive load of carbon that needs to be in our ground to support a healthy functioning system and biome beneath our soil that is actually emitted into the atmosphere because we keep tilling it. Bare dirt, bare soil oxidizes and releases carbon. Covered right. soil with green growing plants is keeping the ground healthy, is keeping the ground biome healthy, is keeping carbon sequestered and sequestering even more carbon, et cetera, et cetera. And this affects- One thing that maybe we should remind people is that there's a lot of focus out there on trees and they say, well, we need to save trees, we need to save trees, but they never address the issue of grass. Grass as well as algae and trees are the major, uh, the most important source of oxygen and uh, carbon capture, I'm sorry, CO2 capture uh, in the world. So your job is to let people know that it's not just about the trees, it's also a lot about the grass, right? Absolutely, I, I forget the exact statistics, so you'll, we'll, have, we'll have to look it up. I think I'm understating it, but I believe um, up, upwards of 40% of the land mass terrestrial surface of the of the planet involves grasslands or pasture systems um, and much of that is not um, conducive to 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 you know the sort of row crop type agriculture that we produce and so it's critically important that we um, work those systems in a way that allows them to maximize that carbon capture potential that you were just speaking to right. as well as as well as water holding capacity um, and so know, let's talk let's talk about the water holding capacity because if we continue growing our food the industrial way the way it is uh you think they would have learned 
their lesson uh, during the Dust Bowl disaster in the 30s, right? But they keep on doing it and all it takes is one or two bad seasons and we're going back to a Dust Bowl again situation. Yeah, it's incredible. It take, in nature, it takes maybe 500 uh, up to maybe a thousand years to create one inch of healthy topsoil. Um, and we can lose all of that in one heavy rain event um, or one windy day on, yeah. on land that is, that is um, exposed um, th through erosion, wind, wind and water erosion. And um, the, other, the other thing that happens is water can't permeate the, the, the surface of, of, of that ground, right? It's lost its aggregate. It's, lo it's lost the structure that allows for um, water to infiltrate. You know, plants help with that. Fungus helps with that. The energy exchange that happens beneath the soil helps with that. And so in a, in a healthy system, you might see that you can absorb upwards of 10 inches of rain in an hour, um, which would be quite a heavy rain event. Um, we right. would call that probably a monsoon. Um, but what we've seen in these degraded systems is that, you know, half an inch an hour, maybe one inch an hour is its max capacity. So you get in areas like where we live, um, Allen in central Texas, you know, we, we maybe get 28 inches of rain a year. Um, yeah. And I'd say about 27 and a half inches of that comes in about two days. Um, yeah. Massive rain events. And yeah. um, that water just runs right off. It takes soil with it. It runs out to the ocean. It takes all the chemicals that have been sprayed. It creates dead zones. It destroys mm. the waterways. Um, it, it erodes banks of river systems and waterways. What should happen in a healthy system is all of that rain event gets absorbed. Yeah. Um, and no, none of that water runs off. And now you have a reservoir beneath your land that in the now you know, months of, of, of dry, you know, lack of rain that follow um, are, 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 are there to, to water the ground, right? We talked about organic matter in the soil earlier. 1% organic matter over one acre holds 20,000 gallons of water. So if you think right. about the fact that we're less than 1% organic matter now, and we should be closer to 10%, it's just yeah. a massive load of water that we're, that we're not able to retain in our soils anymore that's running out to the ocean and taking everything else with it. So can you explain how grassroots, literally, and we, we, we always talk about grassroots movements, but in this case, how grassroots actually helping to aerate and allow water absorption. Yeah, so, so a handful of things happen um, when you have uh, diversity of, of, of plant life um, year round uh, with living roots in, in the ground or in the soil. Um, number one, that, that energy um, cycle that we just talked about, right? Energy of the sun, which is above the soil, getting transferred to life below the soil. That, and, and, and in this case, we talked about carbon dropping off. What that really is is a sugar. Um, and those plants uh, and, and healthy grasslands that we talked about, their roots can be upwards, um, you know, 10, maybe 15 feet deep in a healthy system. So that yeah. energy exchange can exist way, 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 way deep down in the soil. Now, that only is the case if we don't till it and kill everything um, beneath the soil and eliminate that um, infrastructure that delivers that um, energy down, you know, that deep into the ground. The other thing that happens is with the plant roots being that key infrastructure piece, delivering that key energy piece, you end up with, again, fungus and, and microbes and other soil biology that are coming in and doing what's called um, nutrient cycling in addition to that energy exchange. And so you may find that um, this incredible organism called the micro, this mycorrhizal fungi can mine some sort of a, uh, mineral or element from miles away that is, um, 
lacking in a certain area and it can transport it mm -hmm. um, and, and bring it to an area where that, where, that, where that mineral or element might be deficient. And so this really complex web of exchange taking place beneath the soil, um, including that fungi kind of having this binding property. So if you pick up, you know, if you look at some sand or some dust and you hold it in your hand, you know, you can blow it. It just looks like, um, you know, sand again, right? Mm. Versus you dig into healthy, healthy soil, you notice a couple things. It's dark and rich. It looks like chocolate cake, both yeah. in the sense of, of, how, of how dark it is, but also in the sense of how it sort of is oh, binding yeah. together and in some mm -hmm. cases beating up. And, and, and that's representative of a lot of that life underneath there holding that structure and that aggregate structure that creates those spaces for, again, exchange um, and, and, and water to permeate, et cetera. The, the other thing that's interesting, again, in, in a system that doesn't have those, it doesn't, if it doesn't have roots, which was your question, it won't have plants above the soil. And diversity in plants above the soil plays another, you know, several other really important roles. Number one, here in Texas and in a lot of places, that surface temperature of that, of that, of that bare soil can reach upwards of 140 degrees. Well, yeah. When we're talking about a complex system of life beneath the soil that is biology based, you know, microorganism based, you know, what temperature do we need to be heating our, our meat to to, um, to kill bacteria and to, and to kill pathogens um, in order to make it food safe, right? Um, mm. that's, the, that's the temperature we're bringing the surface of, 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 of that ground to. If it's covered in leaves and plants and grasses and litter, uh, and, and, and plant litter, I should say, organic matter litter, um, it can actually, it usually buffers that to not where it won't really usually get above 90 degrees. And the second thing that happens is the terminal velocity just of a raindrop um, is over 20 miles an hour. And when that hits uh, bare ground, um, it will compact it and it will cause a crust that seeds can't come through, water can't come through. And so again, it's this vicious cycle that just makes it harder for water. Less water means less plants, less plants means less health beneath the soil, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what our industrial and conventional pro, uh, agriculture system promotes versus the regenerative system that says you know, five key principles, limit chemical and mechanical disturbance, living roots year round, biodiversity of uh, plant species, um, biodiversity of um, you know, insects uh, and animal species, um, I think I, I think I combined one in there, but um, you know, those, those are the sorts of things that you would, you would imagine a, a, in a healthy natural system that nature is trying to bring to the equation. So if nature is bringing something to the table, don't fight it, you know, find yeah. a way to work with it and try to, way to try to try to find a way to leverage it, which is what you see done in so many different um, systems. Yeah. Right now, uh, just, to, just speaking uh, to, to the, just to, just to butt in a minute. I mean, may, people might doubt that, um, bare soil as opposed to covered soil can have such a temperature differential but you speak to any glider pilot you know who go out in these nice nice planes they actually look out for um, uncovered um, dark soils because they know that later in the day they're going to be so warm they're going to create thermals that they can they can run their gliders up so that's not just a um, how can I put that it's not just a small effect it's a quite a profound effect of how hot the soil gets well, and again, when we, when we talk about just corn, 10% of the land mass of the U.S. being corn, think about when it comes to harvest and they've tilled it up and it's bare dirt, that's a lot of heat, right? And that affects weather patterns because we have these macro weather cycles, our large weather patterns, but then we have micro weather patterns, right? And 
you know, you walk out on a cool day and you see dew and mit you know, on the ground. You don't see dew on the ground if it's bare soil for miles and miles and miles. And you don't yeah. have that local small moisture, and that actually means less precipitation in most cases. Um, yeah. Those smaller weather events, and so again, it, that's just part of the again. It's a vicious cycle, and we just have to break that chain. Right, right. So uh, to clarify things for the listeners, uh, <coughs> because a lot of people are not aware how the cycle works, can you explain the the natural cycle of regenerative uh, agriculture? So you start with the grass and the animals, and you know, I want I want to hear the cycle. Okay. Well, I, yeah, so going back to uh, let's say, what was the name of? I've learned that first about 15 years ago when I watched this movie uh, about, what's his name? He's a, he's a famous farmer that now teaches regenerative agriculture everywhere. Uh, is, it, is it Salatin? Yes, okay. So he explains very well the cycle. Can you explain that to us again? Um, well, I, mean, I, think, I think the most basic cycle in nature is um, you know, the, 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 the idea that there's life and then there's death and then there is decay and then there is new life, right? Right, right. Um, and I think what we've, what we're trying to, to do in a regenerative cycle is celebrate that, that, that natural balance in, in nature and to allow nature to regenerate lands that we've degraded through interference. Um, our, our, our modern agriculture cycle is more, is, is more in, in the vein of spray, run a tractor over it, try to kill as much of the stuff we don't want to promote what we do want, mine as much as we can out of the ground until there's nothing left to mine and then move on. Um, and within a regenerative cycle, we're saying, okay, we've been heading down the wrong path. We understand the basic cycle of life and nature. How do we incorporate diversity in plant species? And a, you know, so, so an example would be um, certain plants are nitrogen fixing, right? Turnips, for example. So instead of spraying nitrogen, maybe I can plant uh, turnips in my mix and get nitrogen into my soil. Or maybe I incorporate chickens or pasture animals because they're, um, you know, when, when they're, their droppings are incredibly nitrate, uh, nitrogen rich, right? And then maybe seasonally, I, instead of go from planting one crop a year, I plant a handful throughout the year so I can ensure that I have green growing plants and living roots year round as well as I have the ground covered. Maybe I use incorporate ruminant animals in and roam those across the land so that they can be supporting, um, you know, fertilizing um, through their dung and urine and, um, you know, compacting and chipping and disturbing the soil with their, um, their hooves and playing the role that they play, et cetera, et cetera. And, finding a way to incorporate spe different species of animals, different you know, species of plants, again, promoting biodiversity and managing that um, versus, I think sometimes the misconception is that this movement is just saying, hey, we're going back to the way we used to do things. No, this is a new, this is an advanced practice where you're replacing inputs with management, very, very strategic, very intentional management to accelerate and work within and emphasize the natural processes that might happen over time by chance um, to, to do it in a more uh, predictable and, and encouraged manner. Right. What I'm trying to get at and uh, trying to get from you is uh, actually a graphic representation. For example, I went to visit uh, 
white oak farms in uh, Georgia. And I saw actually how, and um, the gentleman explained me how it works. First, he takes a, peer, a piece of land that is bare. It takes him at least two years to regenerate, to, to take care of it, to eliminate all the toxins, to uh, um, plant grass and, and allow the grass to grow before he allows this animal to get on it and start feeding. So the cycle I'm talking about is you have healthy grass, the cows come in, they eat it, they poop, to speak Frenchly. Uh, then they bring, they move the cows out, they bring the chicken and the other, you know, uh, poultry animal. The yeah. chicken uh, eating the the bugs and the and the worms and everything in the poop. They in turn poop themselves, which is nitrogen, which helps the grass to grow again. And then we we start the cycle all over again, right? So. I was trying to get a more uh, graphical or more real life example of how things work so people can get it in their mind as that's how the system works. Well, I think I think you just mentioned Will, Will Harris and Jenny Harris um, yes, down, yes, in, down yes. in Bluffton, Georgia at White Oak Pastures. And I think that's an incredible example. I, I, I just want to clarify too that that's their context. Every right. um, rancher um, may, may have a different resource base financially or, or, or human resources and maybe in a different geography or climate. So there's, I wouldn't say that there's one right singular way to, to do it, but I think theirs is, is, a, is a wonderful example. I would add, since you already, since you already explained uh, a good chunk of it, that they will similarly use um, uh, pigs and the goats to go into yes. densely wooded and brush area and they'll use them to go in and open those areas up. Whereas in some cases people may burn those or use chainsaws or heavy equipment or machinery running on diesel, they're using animals as a, as a tool um, right. to go and open those areas back up and to re recreate a savanna, um, which, which it once might have been had we not disrupted that system. And I, th I think the system that you're speaking to and why that works, why we can do that in, in Georgia, just like we can do it in Wisconsin and California and everywhere else where we, we do this is the, 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 the natural system um, that, we're, that we're working with, you know, we're emulating in a smaller scale on whatever size ranch or operation a farm might, may have, what has been going on since the last ice age. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you look 10,000 years ago, the largest herd of ruminant animals on our planet were, were, were the American bison or several mm -hmm. species of bison actually. Right. And these herds would have been in tens of millions of animals roaming across our landscape and be in these these grasslands that we're talking about, um, and they would be so densely um, herded based off of a relationship between predators that, were, that are following them, um, mm. that they would have massive impacts. They would not selectively eat. They would, in many cases, their young, their, their dung and urine would in many times of the year in arid, time, you know, arid areas or dry times of the year be the only um, moisture that that area might get for some time. And they'd wallow and do all sorts of things and then they'd move across after a couple of days. So they'd heavily graze, heavily impact, chip up, urine dung, birds would follow, chip up, you know, and, and that's what you were describing at Will's place. You know, he's using yeah. poultry and, 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 you know, chicken and turkeys to follow, just like in, in the native ecosystems, there would have been natural birds following and natural other things happening. So those, that herd of bison may go from Mexico to Canada and back over the period of a, a year or more. And so 
that you know, they're not coming back to that same piece of land for many, many, many months. Um, yeah. It allows that land time to recover. And this is how all of our plant and animal species evolved. You know, there's, there's this harmony, there's this balance in nature and they, they co-evolved. So when Impossible Burger says we need to remove cows from the planet, I, what I hear is we're, we need, they're looking to remove our only potential ability to reintroduce anything symbolic of how our lands evolved to be healthy and in balance. Because yeah. we fenced everything off, we've killed off all the bison, unfortunately, we've killed off all of the predators, unfortunately, um, that are key keystone species in allowing these natural cycles to occur. What we have left is our ability to manage those lands in the image of nature to allow for the potential that nature has to exhibit itself. And right now we're doing the opposite. So uh, on the later note, and uh, I have a more question, uh, serious question after this. On the later note, they they also ex expound on the fact that um, cows release a lot of methane in the atmosphere. What's your take on that? Well, methane's worse than carbon. You know, I think uh, there's there's no denying it. I don't want to I don't want to make I don't want to make excuses, but I think that's heavily heavily overplayed, right? I mean, rice emits a ton of methane. Um, mm -hmm. Anything that ferments is, is, emit, is emitting a ton of methane. The interesting thing about methane, carbon, they say, lasts um, maybe a thousand years in the atmosphere. So if you emit, if you're positive in carbon, that's going to last for many, many generations. And, and, and we got to figure out how to draw carbon down because of how long it lasts. Right. Methane, I've, I've heard between eight and 12 years. Right. Um, and so when you look at methane, you need to be thinking of how much methane was being emitted eight or 12 years ago versus how much methane is being emitted today? And am I actually increasing my load of methane in the environment? Um, and, and if you look at where we were, not just eight or 12 years ago, but 10,000 years ago, when we had large herds of bison and elk and pronghorn and sheep and deer and all of the things that we had um, roaming all across you know, this continent, as well as you know, you can, the list goes on for ruminants and other continents, they were belching methane too. Yeah. Um, and there's a certain amount of methane from a certain species of animals that is natural um, and not to be um, looked at upon other human um, derived sources. Similarly, in healthy ecosystems, if you haven't destroyed the soil life and the soil biome, there is something called methanotrophic bacteria. They actually absorb methane and actually, you know, are part of that important cycle that nature has allowed. So, the methane conversation is one that gets heavily overplayed and in particular on the animal side, it's just a convenient excuse to tell a dramatic story that I, I think involves a lot more context than, than they give it or consumers have time to understand. Well, here's my take on it. Um, my understanding of it is in the industrial raising of meat, they feed the animals with corn, soy, alfalfa, now, alfalfa is a grass, so that's not a problem. Corn and soy are not a natural um, food for the cows. And it creates digestive trouble, which results in methane, right? Because they are not meant to eat. And these, these especially corn, ferments into their, their body and their system and creates more gas, so to speak, than a natural animal feeding on grass would be because a cow 
is meant or bison is meant to eat and digest grass which is loaded with oxygen and it doesn't necessarily ex expel some gas but not nearly as much as the industrial cows do so that's my take on the the whole methane you know uh, excuse yeah it's it's uh it's it's one of those it's it's another example of of, of taking very complex issues and trying to oversimplify them right. um, and, and, and it to, to serve an, uh, a, an agenda. And in this right. case, it's to mislead people um, around a quick, uh, a quick talking point that they can, they can use to further their agenda and it's, it's taken out of context. Right. So, um, and that would be probably my last question. How do you see the future of uh, regenerative agriculture at, at this point? Um, I, you know, I, I'm encouraged by the trends that we've seen broadly in, in food. You know, I think about um, my friends and mentors and in, 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 the, in the food space who are pioneers in the organic movement um, and how they, um, you know, approached the emergence of organic foods. Um, you know, many you know, dec decades ago when that began to um, arise. And, you know, now I think the latest reporting is that some 80% of households have purchased an organic product or have an organic product in the house at least in the last year. Um, mm -hmm. So organic is starting to become mainstream. Yeah. Um, and I think regenerative is, is the next organic, right? I think organic is incredible and it's, it was hugely important and, and absolutely um, should be continue to be supported. But I also see that as a stepping stone on the path to where we need to head as a society. Mm -hmm. And that regenerative is um, the direction that needed, we need to be heading. And I think that, you know, Six years ago, when we started talking about regenerative Epic with Epic, people thought we were crazy and didn't know what we were talking about. Even four years ago, when we were talking to General Mills about selling our company, they thought it was some sort of sorcery and um, <laughs> had to do in the diligence process. They were concerned that we were going to be, you know, misleading consumers and spreading false advertising because of the claims that we were making around regenerative agriculture. So they had, you know, they, they went out to, to Will Harris and, and White Oak Pastures to see for themselves just how powerful and real these concepts are. And, and, and three and a half years later, they committed to converting a million acres um, to regenerative agriculture. Um, nice. and so I, think, I think that we're, we're see, you know, we went from underground to now we're at a whisper and I think it's growing uh, rapidly. I think both because consumers are gonna force it to do so as they become more ed educated. And I think both because big businesses also realize that there is no future right. in food if we don't do something about the problem that we've been creating. Um, right. And so it's, 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 being, it's being impacted at both ends. Um, I think the key thing for us is, uh, and, and, and especially for consumers, is to hold everybody accountable, um, to, to, and to request and insist upon transparency so that you don't see the return regenerative getting watered down and it becoming some marketing um, verbiage that stands for some minimum requirement that is just below what is actually meaningful and relevant. Um, right now, it's very powerful and very relevant, and, and, and we're going to fight to keep it that way. Cool. And uh, we're glad to be part of the voices to spread that message. Thank you. Uh, Mark? Are you, are, yeah, are you still... I'm, am I still here? Yes, I've, I've been deep, deep in thought. Yes. Deep in thought, <laughs> actually. Um, okay. I think, Robbie, one of the most... Um, how can I put that? One of the most telling things about our conversation is how sincere you are about you know what you're talking about. It's 
you can see, obviously, it's really something that you live and breathe through every pore of your being. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, I, I've been very fortunate that I've been able to travel all over the world to visit with people that are on the land, um, stewarding this mission every day and, and, and getting the same sense, same sense from them. Um, and then seeing with my own eyes um, and, and, and walking on, on lands with my own, with my own legs to, to realize just how powerful the potential is. Mm. When you, when, when you, when you see all of the pieces that it connects and, and the opportunity that um, we have as a global society to address so many of these major global challenges that we're facing today. I mean, I could just start to list them off mm. right? and it all comes back to agriculture. It's hard not to be um, excited and nervous and scared and eager. And uh, again, as you say, passionate about doing everything within your power to spread that message so mm. that we can affect it as quickly and dramatically as possible. Excellent, excellent. Now, in your global travels, I'm sure you've been to places like um, South America and the rainforest, where through pressures of commerce, you know, large tracts of land are being cleared to plant single crops, such as you know, coconut and that type of thing. When I'm seeing these reports on the television, I'm thinking, well, why don't they instead drop, adopt a regenerative, regenerative type of agriculture? Have you seen that applied in those places? You know, I think I have. Like, like I said, you know, savory, savory as one example has hubs on every continent. Mm. Um, and I think there are upwards of 40 hubs around, around the globe now. And then, of course, every hub has, you know, many dozens of ranches that they're supporting. So mm. massive scale and potential demonstrated in every country and every ecosystem. Um, I, I know it can be done. You know, I think it all comes down to, to local cultures and economies and awareness and education and all those things are, are, are our limiting factors. Mm. I think where it is done, you end up not only with healthier lands, you end up with um, more margin for those producers, more yeah. stability financially and otherwise, better quality of life. You know that farmers, the, the rates of suicide for farmers is higher than than, than soldiers and veterans returning from war. Yeah. That is remarkable. What does that tell you about the, the, the mindset of these people and the, and the condition and the situation that they're in, right? And so mm. giving hope and, 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 and um, support to those communities is, is powerful. And, and again, I, th I, think, I think we'll see more and more of that to answer your question. Um, consumers are in the driver's seat, right? Whatever people say that they want, they raise their hand and say, this is what I want to buy more of, people are going to produce and grow. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. So where do you see um, force of nature in the sort of the next 12 months, three years, five years? What do you think is going to be happening on that uh, panel you see before you? Um, my, my, my hope would be over the, over the coming years that we see um, a, a few things happening. One, um, our message gets out, the help of folks like you and um, other influential platforms and, 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 and media um, we can start to get better awareness to what's going on um, and consumers to take um, and recognize, you know, that they're voting every day. This isn't mm -hmm. like a, this isn't like a presidential election where they can say they don't like either candidate. And so they're out, you know, if you're consuming, you're voting. And if you're not paying attention, you're probably voting for something that doesn't align with your own values. So um, as we, as hopefully we see more consumers getting 
this, these issues being raised and brought to their awareness and them demonstrating um, what, what, what sort of systems that they hope to support and their behavior. And, and, and for force of nature, that means, you know, this company will scale, this mission will scale and this will grow, um, which will then support more ranches, more farmers, more people on the land um, to have stability in their operation, to grow, um, influence them to be um, persuasive for their neighbors to adopt better, more progressive practices. We'll see competition um, come onto the scene, which I think is a good thing. I would love to see more people coming out and selling um, proteins that are raised in a regenerative fashion. I'd love to see large protein manufacturers now who are hedging themselves in alternative, you know, soybean products that they mm -hmm. say looks like meat. Um, I'd like to see them head, you know, instead hedging and investing in um, regenerative agriculture and so we'll call it solutions-based agriculture um, instead. So I'd like, I'd like to be, I'd like to see a ripple effect going through the industry. We're, we're talking about a massive industry. Meat is a 99% of households. And if we could just do, if we can just send small signals today, a few years from the road, we, uh, a few, few years down the road, we can be impacting dramatic change. Yeah. 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 And, and, and even if you've got somebody who is, uh, you know, a dyed in the wall vegan supporter, the food that's grown on land that's managed properly is going to be far more uh, nutritious for them as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and there should be animals on those land if they want to see that nutritional potential realized as well. Yeah. You've given us a lot of information today. Where can people find out more about, you know, the story you've been telling us today? Yeah. Um, so our website is uh, www and it's force of nature meets. That's plural. Uh, force of nature meets .com. Um, we have a, a blog there where we have access to information. Um, we're, we're in the process of building out a resource library. Um, we have a, a social pack platform that you can follow us on, on both Facebook and Instagram. We're, we're constantly putting out new content to connect people to um, these ideas and, 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 and the latest news. And so I would just definitely suggest checking us out there. And then, you know, if you want to support us and support some of the producers that we work with, we do have products for sale mm -hmm. on our um, online platform. And then pretty soon we'll be announcing um, some new distribution and retailers. We have retail distribution here in central Texas, and then we're about to have some national distribution um, all over the United States. And uh, when we do, we'll, we'll announce that and folks can go to those stores and support, um, support them for being some of the first uh, pioneers and progressive retailers who are supporting, you know, solutions-based agriculture. Yeah. Excellent. Now, a lot of people, when they sort of get touched by a message like this, they're, they're unsure about what their first steps might be. What, what would you suggest that, you know, someone who's not really thought about where their meat comes from or even how much they eat or what happens to the animals that, that, um, that are used in, in the, the meat production process, what would you say their first few steps are? Uh, you know, it, it depends on the person. I, you know, I, I tend to lean to say, hey, educate yourself. If it's important to you, um, educate yourself on it, right? And I think for some people, the environmental impact is going to be the most important thing. And um, I'd, I'd, I'd love for them to connect with us and, and we will connect them um, to other influential people that, um, and, and, and platforms to, to share information on that. Some people, it may be about my own health, my own, my own wellness, the, the, the impact I'm having on my family or children. Um, and, and, and we'd love to connect them to that as well. Um, um, or it may just be, you know, I want to understand how the animals are treated and, hmm. and, and, and so on. So, you know, I, I don't, this is a big message. There's a lot going on. Nobody needs to read the encyclopedia of everything there is to know about it. Just understand that we can, 
we're trying to put it into bite-sized pieces that are interesting and relevant to each person um, so that they can invest their own level of energy into it because people don't have time um, to sit here and spend hours a week researching this stuff. We want, we want to make it easy um, or learn a little bit about us. And if you trust us, um, you know, we're, 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 we're going to, we're going to represent your best interests and, and, you know, we'll, we'll tell you what we're about. We'll tell you what we stand for and what we, where we're, where we're good and where we're not good. You know, we're not perfect. And we mm -hmm. I think it's important that we be honest about that. Um, and, um, you know, let us, let us help be a steward for mm -hmm. you in that journey if you're, if you're willing, um, but hold us accountable by all yeah. means, whatever, whatever extent you're, you're willing or able. Excellent. Now, what about somebody who maybe wants to check out a farm just to see how different things really are? Do you have um, lists of farms they can go and visit? Um, absolutely. I mean, there, there are farms all over. Um, I think it's a, there, there's definitely a, a price, to, you know, if, if you, you probably want to go someplace locally. Um, so yeah. I don't have a list of all of them. Obviously, Rome Ranch um, here in, in, in just outside of Austin, Texas is um, one where we are doing uh, plenty of tours and events and activities where folks can come learn and spend a day out here and, and, and see these concepts and practice. Um, we'd love to have, have you out. Um, information is available on the website. At, yeah, uh, I, I'd, like to come, I'd like to come in May. You have one coming up in May, right? Oh yeah, it's just down the road from you. So we got to get you out yeah. here for sure. Yes. Yeah, folks, yeah, folks can come can, can check that calendar that um, Alan was just pointing out. There's a calendar on RomeRanch.com. Uh, Rome as an R-O-A-M, uh, Ranch.com. And then because uh, it was just mentioned earlier on the podcast, White Oak Pastures does um, some agritourism as well, and they're in Bluffton, Georgia. But again, um, it's all over the country, so find some place nearby. You you can even look up um, the Savory Institute. Google them. They have a hub. They have hubs all over the country. They'll connect you um, mm. to the, the, the nearest one to you if you want to get your hands dirty. I'm sure folks would love to have you. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we've been chatting for a good hour and some. Um, I think it's probably time that uh, we let you get, get back to your normal routine. It's been lovely chatting with you. Um, Alan, over to one you. Last, one last question. Um, locally, you said you have um, retail outlets. Uh, can you actually name them so we can start shopping there? <laughs> Well, in in in, uh, in Austin um, right now, I mean, we we just launched over the summer, so bear bear in mind we're very we're very new with this brand. But in Austin, yeah. um, we are in uh, uh, Fresh Plus, we are in Wheatsville Co-op, we are in Central Market. Um, yeah. That's all over Central Texas. Um, mm -hmm. And then um, we have a few uh, yeah, a few other one-off sort of locations as well as you know our headquarters is here in Austin as well. So sure, sure. Um, are you working with Whole Foods and trying to get in? Uh, we're in we're in conversations with we've known Whole Foods for a long time for many years and so yeah we're definitely having we're definitely in conversations with them but um, we are not distributed in Whole Foods right now. Okay, cool. Well, Central Market is big enough as it is, so that's a great step for you to uh, to be there. Um, okay, uh, anything you'd like to add? No, just I appreciate your time and apologize to your your listeners for how deep we got into some of the science, but ah, I think it's never a problem. Out touch on the yeah. touch on the broad topics so they know mm. how, how deep this goes and um and and hope that uh, hope that it was inspiring some aspect of it was inspiring and they do what we just said they go out and educate themselves and they go out and support um you know and they're purchasing produce and 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 and, and protein that's coming from places that you know that align with their values and that they feel good about um what they're what they're feeding their families and the impact that it's having on the rest of the world cool 
Thank you again, Robbie, for being on the Low Carb Paleo Show. And as we say in Texas, a vostra santé, y'all. <laughs> now, Robbie, tell me, you live in Texas. You must yeah. hear that all the time. Yeah. 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 Yeah.